Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. Hello, I'm Andy. Hi, I'm Hamid. And today we've decided to actually talk about the autonomic nervous system. Yeah, exactly. Um, we thought that we've pretty much covered the neurotransmitters um, to, to a reasonable depth. So mm-hmm. the next thing is, this is, I think, autonomic nervous system, sort of the transition between physiology and moving into more of neuroanatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think before we talk about it, we need to do a, define a few terms that we've come across that were initially confusing. So let's start by talking mm. about the two definitions. What do we mean by the central nervous system? Okay, so a central nervous system compared to a peripheral nervous system. Yeah, peripheral nervous system. Okay, so a central nervous system are, I guess, a, a collection of uh, nerves and networks that are mainly the brain and the spinal cord. Yes. And you can think of that as central. So anything that's not the brain and the spinal cord, I would probably classify them as a peripheral nervous system. That's right. So, so that's everything that's going out, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. From from the um, from the spine into the periphery. Yeah, exactly. Another um, term that you might you guys might come across is the autonomic nervous system, which is a topic of our conversation today. But also the somatic nervous system. And do you want to explain what the t- mm-hmm. what, what we mean by uh, this? So, well, I think the somatic nervous system refers to are just the nerves that either they're somatic and so they go and innervate the skeletal muscles. Yeah. So I guess things that you have conscious control over. I think that you could probably say that. And so anything else other than that would be pathways that are from, uh, so the autonomic nervous system could be said as pathways to and from the central nervous system that innervate and regulate things that you don't really have full control over. Let's say smooth muscle, cardiac muscle, and glands. Perfect. Mm. And a further definition is, um, so the uh, autonomic nervous system can be further divided into the sympathetic pathways and the parasympathetic pathways. Mm -hmm. You can also um, come across the entire nervous system as well which we've mentioned in our gastrointestinal block mm-hmm. and so that's the the pathways that control that regulate um, contractions within the inter- intestinal tract mm-hmm. that won't be the focus of our talk today it's probably going to be the sympathetic and the parasympathetic pathway yes so it's very important before we talk about these in in, in great detail actually what does the sympathetic or the parasympathetic system do they, they have mm. some interesting functions and i think this is a, a, probably one of the more ba- most basic things a medical student could probably know about mm. right so what a sympathetic reaction is compared to a parasympathetic reaction yep. so sympathetic is your fight and flight yep. whereas uh, parasympathetic is like your couch potato kind of re- re- rest and digest isn't it yes rest and digest what a bit what a good way to describe it okay so sympathetic let's say you see a bear and suddenly you're scared and you're running away so yep. what uh, what will happen is that your heart rate accelerates, your your airways dilate, and they open up so that you can breathe in more air. Mm-hmm. Uh, digestion and other uh, glucose... Uh, well, digestion isn't probably the most important thing, so it would be inhibited. Yep. And I think your pupils will dilate so that you can see a lot more things. Um, what else can you think of? Um, so I think uh, it's things that are not so much obvious from a, um, I guess, fight or flight response is that it can actually assist with maturation, so peeing, mm-hmm. because um, uh, uh, what it does is that it can cause the um, bladder to, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, it doesn't assist with maturing, it actually causes urine storage, because the last thing is when you're running, you don't want to be mm-hmm. peeing yourself as well. <laughs> no. So what it does is it causes the closure of the sphincter, yeah. um, the internal sphincter in the bladder, and also relaxes the bladder. Yeah. But um, as a whole, uh, its main function is for survival, isn't it? So you're yep. going to get your rapid heart rate, improved lung intake by um, uh, by dilating the um, the smooth muscles in the airway, yes, and diverting blood from let's say di- digestion to elsewhere in the body that's Muscle needed. Yeah. So what does the parasympathetic system do? Then? Mm. So pretty much the opposite of what the sympathetic does. It helps you relax. So your heart rate slows um, since the sympathetic relaxes the airways. This one, the parasympathetic, actually constricts the airways. Mm. 
it would stimulate digestion and defecation, also uh, urination as well. Yep. And also it stimulates saliva production as well. Yes. So you've got salivation as well. Um, interestingly, so it, all cause, it could also cause uh, sexual arousal. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas on the other hand, I think when we did our reproduction lectures, the arousal of a male penis is from the parasympathetic pathway, but the actual orgasm is, from, a, is from the sympathetic yeah, pathway. Yeah, that's right. But we diverge. Yeah. yeah. So um, now that now that you have a bit of an overview, as a general rule of thumb, um, sympathetic is fight or flight. Parasympathetic is rest and digest. Mm. It's interesting because these two pathways work in tandem. So you can't have both pathways stimulated at the same time. Mm. One is either stimulated and one is not as active or vice versa. It's kind of like a seesaw, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and also an important part to that is that it's not under your direct control. It's all autonomic. Mm-hmm. Um, so which is a key point from this lecture. Yeah. So. Before we talk uh, further about the, the neuroanatomical components of, the, of this, um, this talk, mm. we'll come across a term called a ganglion. What is that? Uh, a ganglion, you could think of it as a collection of cell bodies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of nerve cell bodies. Yeah. Exactly. That are outside of, the, um, outside of the spinal cord, aren't they? Mm. You could say that, yeah. Yeah. So you, in your readings, you might come across the term parasympathetic ganglions and sympathetic ganglions. So with parasympathetic ganglions, Andy, whereabouts are these cell bodies, neuronal cell bodies located? Mm. And the location is a very key distinguisher between the two yeah. systems. Yep. The parasympathetic ganglions are located near their effective organ, uh, effector organs, so their destination. Whereas the sympathetic ganglions are located really close to the spinal cord. And so once you've got the concept of a ganglion, that gives a rise to two different nerves. Nerves that go to the ganglion and there's nerves that stem from the ganglion and go uh, past it. So that's called a preganglion nerves as well as postganglion neurons. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So from a sympathetic point of view, what you might tend to see from the sympathetic system is that all these sympathetic fibers from the spinal cord, mm-hmm. and don't worry guys, we'll mention about the spinal cord in an upcoming episode as well, Sure. but they tend to emerge from the um, level of T1 to L3. So yep. they, they're referring to your vertebrae, and mm-hmm. so they often refer to as a thoracal, uh, emerge from the thoracolumbar region as well. Yep. Whereas with your parasympathetic, they either emerge from the cranial nerves, so they're the nerves that are coming from the brainstem and things like that, mm-hmm. and they also emerge from the sacral plexus. So these are right towards the the, the hip, lower mm-hmm. lower down is where you tend to see them, and they're referred to as the cranio-sacral region is is the term given to the para, um, the um, parasympathetic mm-hmm. pathways. Sure. Now let's spend a bit of time talking about the sympathetic pathway because I think as a whole the parasympathetic. Uh, neuroanatomy is relatively simple it's the sympathetic mm. that's a little bit more complicated so do you want to mm. maybe mention uh, just broadly how the nerves emerge from the spine so what we've got is a um, chain of ganglions along the that are running parallel on either side of the spinal cord yes. these are called uh, sympathetic ganglions or the sympathetic, sympathetic chain i think is yep. or the para uh, paravertebral um, ganglion is another name that i've come across mm-hmm. sympathetic chain let's call it that so what happens is that the cell bodies of these sympathetic fibers they they're located the pre sorry the preganglionic neurons these sympathetic nerves are located in the uh, spinal cord yep. and then they flow out of the uh, spinal cord into the sympathetic chain through the thoracolumbar outflow Yes, around between the T1 and L3 region. And so what happens is that they go into the sympathetic chain and this is the, where the confusing part begins. Mm. So they flow out of the ventral root 
and then they enter the sympathetic chain through this uh, region called the white rami communicans, and then they go into the ganglion. They 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 can synapse and um, they'll synapse in different locations, which we'll go into mm, a bit yeah. later a bit later in detail but so once they synapse then they come back out again through the gray ramus communicans and then hit their effective organ yeah so actually so that was the that was the entire process in a nutshell but then how they synapse can become more complicated yeah it's really interesting i think that's a really interesting thing about it yeah so what happens is that like you mentioned that these um uh pre-sympathetic uh, cells go into the sympathetic chain and, and synapse. They can mm-hmm. either synapse directly, mm-hmm. and um, then the postganglionic cells would emerge and go into their effective sites. Mm-hmm. Well, the interesting thing is that once they go into the sympathetic chain, the nerve fibers can go one or two levels, uh, either one up or one down, or one, uh, two up or two down normally, okay. yeah. and then they can synapse. So they might not necessarily synapse at the same level. They can go up and down. So okay, yeah. Another thing that can happen is that some sometimes these pre-ganglionic fibers can actually skip the travel through the sympathetic chain without synapsing and go to another small group of sympathetic um, chains called the pre-vertebral ganglions and these are located next to the aorta and so these guys are the ones that are important for innovating the gastrointestinal um, pathways okay and so they can synapse it so you can either synapse directly they can either go one or two levels down or skip the sympathetic chain and go to and sign up with another sympathetic pathway called the pre-vertebral um, sympathetic ganglion. And is there a last one? And I think there's a last one. Do you want to maybe mention the mm. last one? And so that one, these guys also, once again, skip the sympathetic chain entirely while, while going through it. Actually, they skip it entirely. Yeah. And then they just go to the adrenal medulla. Exactly. So and that's how so that's how the adrenal um, glands are stimulated. Mm. Now, it's also important to mention um, some of the uh, neurotransmitters that are important for this pathway as well. And both the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system mm-hmm share very similarities in, in some of the neurotransmitters that are utilized. Mm-hmm. So let's quickly mention what some of the neurotransmitters are. Mm-hmm. So from a preganglionic fibers, what is a key neurotransmitter that's released for both, um, both parasympathetic and sympathetic? Yep. So for both the sympathetic and parasympathetic pathway, they all release acetylcholine. Yep. And the receptor is both a nicotinic receptor that route that um, yep. that we've mentioned actually in our previous talks. Exactly, that's right. Mm. And that causes so it's excitatory exactly. and yep. it causes depolarization of the cell. Yep. Once we talk about the postganglionic uh, fibers, mm. that's where the difference emerges. So, what's the neurotransmitter that's released by the postganglionic fibers within the parasympathetic pathway? Yep. So, for a parasympathetic system at the effector organ, the neurotransmitter is still acetylcholine. But this time, the difference is that the receptor is called a muscarinic receptor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to a nicotinic receptor. Yes. And from a sympathetic point of view, the postganglionic fibers within the sympathetic chain mm-hmm. uh, or the sympathetic pathway release uh, noradrenaline or norepinephrine if you're from uh, America. Yeah. And they bind to alpha-1, alpha-2, beta-1, and beta-2 receptors, which we've alluded to in our previous talk. I think we'll expand on a little bit more in, in this talk. Mm-hmm. And what about the neurotransmitter that's released from the sympathetic fibers that travel directly to the, um, to the adrenal gland? At the adrenal gland, it's still uh, actually acetylcholine. Yeah. And then they stimulate nicotinic receptors of the adrenal gland, which then 
I guess, downstream-wise, then leads to the release of adrenaline and noradrenaline. Yep. And I think it's worthwhile mentioning that, as the name suggests, adrenal gland, majority of the neurotransmitter released by it is uh, adrenaline, mm. and about 20% of it is noradrenaline. So it favors noradrenaline uh, more. And that's important because they have some slight receptor selectivities as mm. well. So um, is there anything else you want to add before we talk about some of the receptors in a bit more detail? Mm, I guess let's just dive into it. Yeah. So we mentioned that the sympathetic nervous system um, innovates... Um, a, 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 and alpha 1, alpha 2, beta 1, and beta 2. Let's start with alpha 1. So what are some of the functions that alpha 1 uh, is involved with? Mm. So alpha 1 is located in the smooth muscle or vascular smooth muscle of the skin. And also, I guess, you can find them in the gastrointestinal tract and yep. the bladder sphincters as well. Um, and what they do is that once they're, uh, once they're stimulated, they produce an excitatory reaction so that they can either cause contractions or constrictions of yep. that particular organ. So uh, alpha-1 receptors are adrenergic receptors, so they are sensitive to noradrenaline or adrenaline. And I think equally sensitive, aren't they? They don't have mm. a particular preference. Yeah. And so what happens is that they're also a metabotropic receptor. Um, what that means is that they're coupled to G proteins, and so they cause a downstream effect of increasing uh, intracellular yeah. calcium through a GQ protein. And we can, um, if you're really interested, you can go and find out what exactly these downstream effects are. Yeah, so they're, they're quite complicated. Yeah, they are. Um, mm. But what it does in a nutshell is that it activates um, phospholipase C. Mm-hmm. So G protein activates phospholipase C, which increases um, IP3. Mm-hmm. And IP3 in, in turn increases intracellular calcium. So yeah. it causes depolarization. Mm-hmm. And having, from a muscle point of view, if you've got lots more calcium inside the cell, that's going to cause a cons- contraction. Uh, contraction of yeah. it. And that's why you get this vascular smooth muscle mm-hmm. contraction. Well put. Yeah. Um, so, what do the alpha two receptors? And again, alpha two receptor. All of these we should mention are drug targets as well. So, alpha. An example of an alpha one antagonist would be prazosin, mm-hmm. which is um, often used for blood pressure, but it's also used for. Um, uh, is it bladder control? Uh, it, it? Benign hyperplastic mm-hmm. um, for men who can't um, urinate due yep. to um, hyperplasia of the prostate. Yeah. Um, so, alpha two. What does that do? Mm. So, alpha two. They are located, uh, well, you can say that they're located in the walls of the GI tract. Yep. And so these guys, on the other hand, they kind of produce inhibition or mm. relaxation of the, um, of these effector organs. So once they're stimulated, once again, by the, um, the adrenaline or noradrenaline, they cause relaxation through a GI protein. Yep. Well, you can say that the receptor is itself is coupled with a GI protein, so that co- that decreases the amount of cyclic AMP that's located in the cell, and that reduces, I think, downstream-wise, the amount of calcium that's in it, so, yeah. and thus causes the relaxation. Yeah, and what's interesting from an alpha-2 point of view is that alpha-2 has negatory inhibitory, negative inhibitory effect on the cell, on the... Um, Presynaptic cells, so mm-hmm. adrenaline, uh, so or noradrenaline within the synaptic cleft binds back onto the alpha two receptors in the presynaptic cell, which is or- originally released the noradrenaline, and there- thereby inhibits further release of itself. So it has this negative feedback effect. Oh, okay. And a drug target for this stat is really important to remember is clonidine. So clonidine inhibits alpha two receptors, and it's used in- initially it was useful blood pressure control, but now we have other agents. So now it's more more psych, you know, psychotropic effects. Particularly, I think, for ADHD, it's, it's used. Okay. Um, so let's quickly talk about beta-1 receptors. Yeah. Um, where would you see the beta-1 receptors? Beta-1 receptors are the recept- uh, are adrenergic receptors you'll find in the heart. Yeah. And they're very heart-specific. So you find them in the SA node, AV node, 
or um, also just the ventricular muscles of the heart, yep. they are excitatory. Mm-hmm. So they, um, when stimulated, they can cause an increase of heart rate, conduction velocity, and contractility, causing the heart to pump harder and faster. Exactly. Um, once again, it's coupled to G proteins as well, and increases the amount of cyclic AMP within the cell to to increase the, uh, I guess, the working, yep. the workload of. And we'll talk about a lot of these once we talk about the cardiology block, because there are all drug targets as well. Mm. And an example of a beta-1 antagonist would be metoprolol or um, or atenolol. Mm. So let's finish off um, by talking about beta-2 receptors. They're, yeah. again, drug targets. What, mm. what do, do they do? Well, with the beta blockers over... Oh, sorry. <laughs> the beta the beta receptors. Um, beta-2 receptors. Beta-2 receptors, yeah. yes. Um, they're located in, I guess, the vascular smooth muscles of the skeletal muscle. Yep. Um, or they can be found in um, the lungs, so mm-hmm. bronchial smooth muscles. Or they can also be found in the walls of the GI tract or bladder. Um, but when stimulated, these guys cause relaxation. And so uh, I guess that could also be one of the reasons why... In a sympathetic stimulation, your uh, your bron- uh, your your lungs they they, they dilate, yeah, that's right. and so you can breathe more easily. Exactly. Um, and so yes, same mechanism of action with as beta one receptors, where they they're coupled with the GS protein. Mm-hmm. Yep. An example of a beta two receptor <clears throat> agonist would be salbutamol, which is used in asthma. Mm-hmm. So let's quickly finish off by talking about some of the cholinergic receptors as well. So we've already alluded to nicotinic receptors mm-hmm. um, in our previous talk. Do you want to very briefly mention what they do as well? So with the nicotinic receptors, they're, they're found in both the parasympathetic and sympathetic uh, ganglias. And they're also actually found in the adrenal medulla as well. They're, they're excited by um, acetylcholine or nicotine as well. And they can cause the excitation when, when stimulated. Um, what else would you like to know about? I think that's about it. And once they're excited, they cause an influx of sodium and potassium that brings about depolarization and that depolarization then travels down this axon of the nerves to, you know, bring about calcium influx and release Mm -hmm. of neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. Um, now another class of, um, uh, receptors that you might, you guys might come across in terms of the parasympathetic pathway is the muscarinic receptors Mm -hmm. and they tend to be more metatropic. And so they work by the second messenger pathways. Can you maybe mm. name a few examples of these? Mm. As in the metamotropic pathways, or as oh. in some of the receptors and where they okay. might be found? Well, you've got um, you've got M two receptors in, located in the heart. Uh, I think M three receptors located in the smooth muscle, and also you can find them in um, some glands as yep. well. And so, when stimulated, these M two receptors can cause an inhibition, um, an inhibitory effect of the heart. Uh, so that means that it slows down the heart rate, decreases the conduction velocity at the AV node, and all the things that are opposite to what happens when compared to a sympathetic stimulation. So they cause, while they cause inhibition at the heart, they are more excitatory in smooth muscles and glands, as we saw that they cause, um, I guess, salivation. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they, in the glands of the, um, in the like the parotid glands, other things, they caused increasing secretion of these um, of these things. So yeah, they, once again, they can either be activated by acetylcholine or they could also be activated by muscarin. Exactly. And mm-hmm. also just worth mentioning that in the smooth muscles, they can cause contraction. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're, you know, you get this gastrointestinal contractions within the mm-hmm. intestine once you eat. Actually, yeah, good point. Um, and there are drug targets as well for, for all of these, but we won't necessarily mention it. An example of a drug target, for example, would be atropine or um, there's lots of different examples that you guys can look up. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to add before we, before we finish? 
Not really, not that I can think of. Yeah, I think that's all I want to talk about. So we mentioned today about the difference between the central nervous system, the peripheral nervous system, somatic versus autonomic, and the fact that autonomic is divided into parasympathetic and sympathetic, mm. and they have opposing effects. Mm. One is for flight or fight, and one is for rest and digest. Yep. Um, and they have slightly some commonalities, but also differences from neurotransmitter point of view as well, and yep. receptors that they bind to. Mm. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, I think we're going to more, you know, double in more and more neuroanatomy as we come mm-hmm. and also don't forget the amazing initiative that Andy and um, and our colleagues have been working on uh, on YouTube you can mm. actually visualize a lot of what we talk about um, and if you have any feedback do let us know we'd love to hear back from you guys it, if you really like our podcast it would do us a lot of um, good if you can help leave a positive review or hit um, recommend it to your other colleagues yeah. as well so thank you once again for tuning in yep yeah, and we'll see you next time bye bye our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our co-editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.